Welcome back. Thank you for hanging out with us. This is the one and only IT in the D show. I'm your host, Bob Waltenspiel, hanging out with co-host producer extraordinaire, Randy Walker. Guest this week, this one's going to be a fun one. Stephanie Krevins is in the house, change management training. She's got the gift of gab and she's got a hundred million stories. And this is going to be an episode that you are going to love at the end. Find us online, IT in the D.com and do us a favor. Give us a like on the socials and subscribe to us everywhere. Find podcasts are sold. Randy, I got to tell a story real quick um, before okay. we dive into Stephanie. Um, anyway, uh, are you still hitting delete on your inbox today? Today is uh, Cyber Monday, if we record on Mondays. And I have gotten more emails today than I've ever gotten in my entire life times 20. If I had more motivation and energy, I would just use that as like a, a to-do list of unsubscribes, but I just delete them instead. <laughs> I used to, no, I, once in a while I go through the unsubscribe, but today it was, it was too much. I just, just select all delete. Um, Yep. And I got to tell this other story. I finally got banned from Facebook. It's been since when did I join? 2009. I finally got banned for three days. Um, so what did you do? You might ask. So I'm on Alliance Forum. I've been with, I've, you know, been with the same group of guys for like almost 20 years since the original Detroit Lions fan forum was going on. And we were all buds. And I put, you know, Jared Goff throws a third and one, throws a bomb, typical Lions. And then I got, okay. I got a warning for using the word because AI picked it up. So then uh, my daughter put googly eyes all over the house and drove me nuts. And I yelled at her and she had to go clean them all up because it was, was like on the address thing outside. It was on the cars. Everywhere there's Google eyes all over the house. So somebody posted a thing like, you want to have fun this holidays? Put googly eyes everywhere. And I said, my daughter just did it. I swear to God, I'm going to kill her. Ha, ha, ha. So I got banned for saying I want to kill her even though it was comma, ha, 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 ha. And then I posted a screenshot saying I finally, one day of Zuckerberg jail, and this is what, well, this is why. That gave me a three-day ban and a shadow ban on all my posts. So I'm um, one of us, one of us, right? I feel like I'm finally in the cool club that I got banned. Um, one of these days, I'm just going to delete it. I think I should. Stephanie, how the heck are you? How are they treating you? I'm good. I'm not banned from Facebook yet, but I'm going to add that to my life goals. I haven't caused that. Just don't talk about long football passes. Don't talk about... Uh, murdering your daughter over Google eyes, you know, a lot of, lot of just, you know, tips, tips of the week. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Man. Anytime. I like I've so, learned so much already. Woo. I know. Right. So going through your bio, going through everything you do, you uh, have a very interesting thing. And I, when I hear of change management training, a lot of people think of software development, but you are, you're like actual change and like how much people like, get stuck in their boxes and don't want to come out. I guess talk to me about where this whole thing stemmed from and, and what, what you accomplish on a day to day. Yeah. So, um, first things first, you know, when we talk about, well, I'm the realist, that's first things first. You have to say that, right? Like you have to, and you say first things first. Um, Absolutely. yeah. So, um, you know, when we talk about change management, I know in the IT field, there's so many great resources that you all have, but we're talking about people changing their behaviors so that then teams produce different results, departments produce different results, so then the company can change. Uh, my friends over at ProSci say people or organizations don't change, people do. And that's where I think a lot of processes fall short is they think, oh, if we just manage the project more closely, if we just manage the process more, if we just count more of our dots on our I's and cross more T's, we're going to knock this thing out of the park. And until you get people's minds, hearts, and hands on board to actually change their behavior, ain't nothing changing. 
So this is uh so you're talking to a Detroit market here where yeah. this is the way we've always done it is like the business mantra of half this town. Um how do how do you break that? Oh man, this is the way we've always done it. Well, me, uh my first question will be I would say, well, how's that working for you? Is it working? Keep all right. Well, depends on what the answer is. Keep what's working, throw out the rest and add. I think that's what we mess up about change is we think if something is changing, everything is changing. And that's not true. Whenever there's a change, there's always a start, stop and continue of the work at hand. You have to have an element of stability through a change initiative, through a growth initiative, through scaling, because otherwise your humans who are doing the work can't keep up. Your customers get confused about what in the hell you're actually doing. Oh, am I allowed to cuss? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I thought so. Right? So like, <laughs> just thought I would check. Um, that's the last time I'll be polite today. All right. Um, but you have to hold some things the same as you go through evolution. Otherwise, the humans around you just can't keep up. And so we can't pretend like if one thing is changing, everything is changing. That's not how how it works at all. So I live in a world of KPIs, right? Mm -hmm. Key performance indicators. Yes. You know, and you're and you're you're promoting change um, mostly for the sake of betterment. But how do you? I guess how do you measure? Is it measurable? Or I guess you know, at the end of the day, like what do you, what are you looking for that that says okay, this was a success? Growth can be measured, I think, in qualitative ways and quantitative ways. So do you have an example of one of your KPIs you could share? Just so we can um, use no, a real it, world it, example? It could be anything. It could be um, it could be customer set, right? Mm -hmm. Like, okay, hey, we got a 96% customer set. We want An NPS score, right? Yeah, we're, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you can use that score to tell a story and i think the what the danger is is that the nps score or that kpi whatever tells the full story you know i follow google's logic where if your kpis are if you're meeting all of them or you're exceeding them they're not bold enough they're not big enough and so you should only be reaching like 50 or 70% of your success metrics and i don't care if you want to use the word goals okrs kpis like at the end of the day, it's kind of all the same. Um, we're all an acronym hell because we're in IT. So I yeah, mean, it's truth, part of the, truth. Part of yeah, the yeah. And so, you know, the reality is, is I think that one, we need bolder goals. We need goals that are outcome based, meaning what's going to actually change. Too many of our KPIs are more focused on the the habit, the behavior. What are we going to do? So we're going to have a stand, a daily stand up. Why? What's the outcome? The outcome of a daily standup should be changed behavior, better priorities. So at the end of the day, can you measure all change? No. But for those leaders who are self-aware, you will notice an emotional difference, a cultural difference. You'll see behavior change. You'll understand when your, your team is coming together that you can observe. And if you really want to do some really, really hard work, yes, you can measure it. It's not always necessary. So it almost sounds to me as if this is almost like agile framework for like management. Am I wrong? Because you're constantly, you know, at the whole point of agile, right. In, in mm -hmm. the development world is you're changing on the fly. You're doing very quick sprints. You're, you're, you know, you're not ending a project pretty much ever. Um, well you are, but you know, you're, you're, you know, moving on the fly. Yeah. Is that kind of like what this framework is 
built on based on, or you, you know, so we use multiple frameworks. Um, at, I would say we're an extension of an agile framework. You know, I love agile for what it is, but I feel like it gets overcomplicated way too quickly. I one time saw a graph of all the different processes you can use in agile. I was like, you could spend more time deciding on which process to use than actually doing something. So that like blows my brain. Um, and I'm not trying to talk smack on agile. It's very worthwhile, but we, here's what I know that I think other folks don't know about what it takes to change. So human beings need to overcome their, their resistance to change, meaning they have to be very dissatisfied with the status quo. They have to understand a positive, compelling vision to actually move towards, and they have to have first steps um, in order to get to that positive, compelling vision. So if the pain isn't great enough, so if they're not feeling the pain or something that's not working for the company is absolutely working for them, they're not going to change. And so I'll admit, I'm not familiar enough with the details of Agile to say like that's that that mirrors this process, but people doing the actual work have to be convinced. They have to have the context for the why of the change. You can't just give them a process and tell them to change. As much as we want to think that like in our organizations, just because the big boss said so, then everyone falls in line and they does it and they do it. That's not how it works on an everyday basis. People create resistance. They stall out unconsciously and consciously. Um, They disengage themselves consciously and unconsciously. And in order to get them on board, and really, really the language I prefer is to help them get themselves on board with the change, they have to be convinced as to the why and the context and the rationale. So pre this podcast, we used to write blogs called Don't Be That Guy. Yeah. And one of the very first ones was the recliner principle. And it was like, you know, you get you get in that recliner and you get your little groove and you got your uh, you got your soda and you got your bag of Funyuns and you're super comfortable. And uh, the the TV's on and it might not be on the channel you want, but you can't quite reach the remote. But you're so comfortable that you're just. Ah, you're just, you're just there. And I'm feel, I feel good. Even though I want to change the TV channel for something better. And maybe I'd rather have a beer instead of the Pepsi. Um, (laughs) You know what I mean? You did get stuck. So, I mean, it's, is it more human nature than it's learned? Cause it seems more common than it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. So our, The limbic part of our brain is wired for safety. So the most ancient part of our brain, the first to evolve from the brainstem in human beings is wired for safety. And so this is the thing that tells you to fight or flight or freeze when something is scary. Now, when our brains were evolving, death, certain death was imminent. If you got separated from your tribe, um, you encountered some kind of I'm going to make this up. Saber tooth tiger. I forget how the animals aligned with the humans. Right. Um, but, um, and you lost your shelter, but it was really all about you stayed alive because you were in community. And so what we hear when we hear about change in our organization is, oh my God, we're getting separated from our people, from our people, from my people. We're going to die. That is literally what our limbic brain hears. It's wired for safety. It's wired for status quo. So, while it is true that 
some people don't like change and some change is hard. It's not categorically true because we also have three other parts of our brain, including the prefrontal cortex that makes emotional and logical decisions, which when you step into that, it can think through consequences and it can think through different things. That's the part of our brain that is wired for a certain amount of variability and instability and newness and discomfort, um, which equals change. Did I answer so, that question? Like, yeah, does that make no, sense? totally. Like, yeah, um, totally. Like, and I, I'm keep going back to measurement because obviously I've been in sales my whole career and that's how we're measured. And one, one of the things we have, we have our monthly MBOs where, or quarterlies where, you know, you do these three tasks, you hit your, you hit your bonus bucket. And um, can you, and obviously you can incentivize change, but it, you know, once you make it uncomfortable, maybe the, the juice isn't worth the squeeze, right? Pardon the bad analogy, but um, you know, how do you go about in, like enforcing it, incentivizing it? What's, I guess, the best tactics methods for, for kind of making it happen? Yeah. So when it comes to change, I think about, and what people need in order to change, I think about personality profiles. So if we just use DISC as an example, and I know a lot of folks have probably completed it in their corporate setting. Let me guess you're a high I. High ID. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I ooze woo. (laughs) Here's the weird part. I was in a, uh, it was executive sales training. It was 50 of us. And then we were all like, you know, the, the enterprise sales reps of, of uh, one of the top five IT companies. And there's 50 of us and there's 48 high eyes. Two of them were analytical and they were both sales engineers. Yep. And we were in like 95% of the group was either firstborn or only children. It was, it was so bizarre where we were like, it was a, it was a holy shit moment if I ever had one in my life that, Whoever is, you know, are you just looking for us like to hire the, the like these high eye people? Like it was, it was every race, you know, male, female. Like it wasn't like this 40 year old white guy thing like IT is known for. Um, it was just super. Uh, anyway, you were talking about disc, you high eye. I had to go off on that tangent because it was it's still to me. It's a fascinating story. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And was this one company or was this multiple reps from it was different one companies? company? It was one company. Yeah. It was so. Uh, yeah, it was one of my. I, I did a short term at Dell. Okay. At Dell. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely um, the unfortunate part about that is they're probably losing out of hiring to S's and C's because they have so many I's selling to other IDs and DIs. Um, but I'm not here to critique Dell. I love Dell, but <laughs> um, there's definitely room for all selling types there. Randy, what's your disc style? Do you know? Randy. I have no earthly idea. I was just looking up what it was, and I've never done that. You've never done okay. Randy's a uh, yeah. He's a yeah. He, he um, I would say Randy is a uh, what's the one where you like a little bit of small talk, get to the point, and get the hell out of my room, get the hell out of my office. Yeah, I would guess based on your emotional affect that you're a C, which stands for conscientiousness. So process oriented, analytical. Um, you want to know, you know, what are the steps that it takes to get there? Um, how much, that sounds like me. Yeah. How much do you value teamwork versus lone wolf working? Um, I like teamwork until things fall apart and then I'm just like, move over and let me handle it. Gotcha. Okay. (laughs) And how focused are you? Do you tend to be on results when it comes to a project? Like, do you need to know like what the end game is or what the goal is? Um, 
A little bit, but I tend to more focus on the path than the destination. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so you're probably a CS is my guess. Um, I only do the, I only administer the scientifically validated assessments, so I don't want to like, I'm not trying to label you or diagnose you and sure. the test will say this is your style. But for those listening in, if you haven't taken the DISC, it is, uh, the DISC stands for your personality personality levels around your levels of dominance influence, steadiness, and conscientiousness. So our dominant friends are very results-driven. They love to delegate. They love to control. They love big picture. They're the first one to say, "Where? what are we doing? Where or like, where are we going? What's the, what's the result we're aiming for? Eyes are really great salespeople. They uh, love variety. They can be impulsive. They um, are wonderful cheerleaders, right? They, they need half of a page of plan and they're ready to go. They're like, we're going to completely transform our sales organization. And we've heard about it for 15 minutes. I'm ready. Sign me up. Hot dog. Um, right. Yeah. I get excited about getting excited. Uh, Um, my S friends are our steady eddies. Wonderful in it because when shit hits the fan, you're like, okay, I know how to fix it, guys. Let's get in the war room. Let's, you know, get in touch with this vendor. Let's create a plan. And you're just, you're the calming force. You're great listeners. You're empathetic. And then our C friends, like we think our friend Randy is, uh, analytical, very much focused on what's the path forward? What are the next steps? What, um, what resources might we need to get it to get the work done? So there was uh, the way I learned it, at least in a sales vernacular was, Mm -hmm figure out who your like your drivers, your, your, you know, your D you know, your D's it it should be a 20 minute meeting and you should lay out, lay out the framework and you're not going to talk about fishing. Um, your eyes, you talk about fishing for an hour and 15 minute meeting and you talk about work for five minutes. Um, and then your analyticals, it's kind of like in between, you know, feel them out on, on the, you know, but most of the time it's just like get the numbers in front of them and and lay it lay out the heavier engineer talk more than you should talk type of thing. So yeah, it's, it's, it was, you know, it, it's funny though. Like when you, when I think about it and and you say like influence can be learned. And I always mm-hmm. thought it's, I, I want to dive into that now since we're talking about this, because like, I've always been a natural salesperson. There's something, you know, like people are always, my whole entire career, I've been doing this for almost 25 years. And they're like, you know, did you read the challenger book? Did you read this? You know, do you read? I'm like, no, like, what do you mean? No. And I go, no. Cause I don't want to sound like a tactic mm. like i want it to be very natural in what i'm and if i lose a sale because of i didn't use this tactic i'm i'm comfortable with that like i'm not you know there's enough irons in the fire for me you know what i mean where I'm, i don't need to rest on this one yes um, yes you know i always used it as a um i taught uh i did this thing at it's called Penguin Con. It's a, it's a little nerd conference and it was flirting for geeks. And I goes, the problem is you geeks, you pick one person in the room and you focus on it for three days. And then you finally work up the nerve to ask them for coffee. And if they say no, it ruins your entire week. And you know what I mean? It, it's more or less that, you know, yeah. like you got to stop, you know, either ask them right away or just 
knock it off. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, Randy, for our CNS friends, let's, um, sorry, not Randy, uh, Bob, let's go back. Like, let's close the loop. So we get that a lot. I know. So I, was like, I was like looking right at Bob. Um, let's close the loop on incentivizing folks. The reason we brought up disc is, um, cause our CNRS friends right now are like, Oh my God, could you finish a part of your story? And <laughs> me and Bob are just going down all the gravy trains. But for my, fr- for my friends listening in, when we think about workplace incentives, we have to think about what incentivizing different styles because what incentivizes a D is not going to be what incentivizes an S. Um, and so I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks that are very internally driven can be very successful in sales and it might, they might be money motivated, but they're really motivated by being able to keep score and always know what winning looks like and the compensation comes with it. But what motivated motivates an S to sell is the relationships that they develop short term and long term and who they're able to help and how they're able to help and the fact that they get to listen to people every single day. And so if you devise incentive plans and sometimes competitions based on those different motivating factors, you'll get a lot more out of all your different styles. And I would say too, High Ds love competition, and especially internal competition, none of the other styles really do. But if it's a sales function, you're probably going to have a lot of DIs, DCs on disk, then a competition could be effective. But it's kind of like our go-to thing. So, sorry, back to the next one. Back to the next topic. Which is the influence side. Yes, learning influence. Yeah, so... Most, it depends though. Like I have really, there, being in sales as long as I have, there's a lot of different folks that I've interacted with. I, there's one person I interact with now. He's, you know, one of the best per- people I've ever been with on the sales floor in my entire career. Reads every book, studious of the of the art of everything about it. Where I think I'm more of a, um, more of a Tommy boy salesperson, not in a... <laughs> Not in a light cars on fire on the desk, but just like, just, just, you know, I can bullshit with anyone about anything. It's just what I've always, I've done it my whole entire life where I think he's, he's, he's very methodical in what comes out of his mouth. Well, unlike me, it's complete diarrhea. Right. So, um, again, I think it's just a personality trait. Um, and like, again, I don't think there's a wrong answer, but you know, how do you like the win friends and influence people? I want to be straight. I think, you know, I read that book and I kind of, scoffed at it i'm not gonna lie but i mean for some people i can understand maybe that was valuable but what's your you know what's your take on that whole influence can be learned thing yeah you know i used to think the same thing as you like you're born with it right you have woo or you don't um you can charm people or you can't and there is some really great research about what it takes to influence other people out there. And, um, we should put a book in the show notes if you guys are open to it, but Robert Caladini, I believe is how you say his last name has a book and has a ton of research on influence and it's super wicked, smart stuff. And there's influence in the disc vernacular, right? Like the way Wiley defines it. And then there's influence as, like broader society um, defines it, I guess. And this research points to some really very practical applications. And it's things like empathy. It's things like being able to not just put yourself in other people's shoes, but 
watch them as they walk in their own shoes and understand that their path is very different from yours and it doesn't make it good or bad. It's just different than yours. Influence looks like asking more questions than making statements. Anybody can do that. Any disc style should be doing that as a way to connect to other people. Empathy sounds like, I don't know the answer, but I'm sorry, not empathy, but influence sounds like, I don't know the answer, but let me get it for you. Or using the seven different styles of power that we have access to, not just the hierarchical one that we tend to think of inside of our organizations. There's actually seven different styles of power. You can leverage all of those in any given moment to connect with somebody or to um, use power for good and influence the situation to get what you want or what your company needs or what is the right thing to do in the moment. I'm working. Uh, my daughter just turned 18. She's going out, going off to college. She, mm-hmm. I got her, I got her job in my corner bar. So she's, you know, following my footsteps. She's not in sales, which is fine. But she was talking about like, how do you, you know, like she asked me, how are you confident? What do you, how do you do what you do? And I go, listen, I go, I didn't learn it when I was 18. And I go, but I'm going to tell you the fast track. And I go, you know, take what you will, take what you will about Joe Rogan. But he said something that was super eloquent. He's like, you like, you like 25, 30 things. I like 25, 30 things. There's a really strong chance we like two or three and then, you know, ask the question and then let them get fired up about what they, you know, something they're passionate about. And yes. like, and you have, you, you, you know, you're along for the ride too, because you like that too. Yeah. But now you feel like you found that connection, right? Yeah. And I always did it inherently, but I always said, and the worst thing you could do is go, Hey, you know, best pizza in town, go, I'm in the mood for something, you know, everyone's got to take on what did you watch on Netflix this weekend? What did you, you know, pizza. So I go, there's like three really easy ones. Um, you can complain about Michigan weather, you know, that's easy. Yep. Um, but you know, it's fine. It's finding that commonality. So yep. I don't know if that, you know, what, what you, you know, what do you, uh, along the same ways or what, what do you, what do you, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. What's really interesting is in my research that I've done around connecting with people and influence, actually more influential people go go deeper, faster with new connections. And so they don't like complaining about the weather, like please poke me in the eye with a pencil. Like that is so asinine to me. I I can't stand it, but I'm going to be like, you know what? Um, okay. Tell me like, where'd you go to school? Okay, cool. Like what was the most meaningful project you had at school? I'm going to go super, I'm going to go relatively deep in a safe, safe way. I'm going to watch their body language as, as we talk about real things, not just stupid things that everybody complains about all the time. And so that depth creates connection and it's in sales language is a pattern interrupt, right? They're so used to someone going, Oh, how about them lions? Oh, did you see what the bucks did last night? Um, that's how everybody talks about football in my head, by the way, but we're so, yeah, we're so used to that superficial, conversation that when you go deep, when you ask something meaningful, meaningful, it makes them pay attention and you sound very caring. Well, it's funny because I look back at my early stages of my career and all I looked, talked about was green blinking lights and look at how fast this goes and look at how great this is. And I never asked them what's important. You know, I learned it later in life, but like, how, how do you get judged? How do you get paid? Like people, I don't know. People are afraid of that, but it's like, you know, what, what, like, you know, what's your KPI? Or like, how do you get paid? What, what do you need? You know, what's your constraints? What sucks? Yeah. And, uh, it's, it, you know, to me, it sucks that I did, you know, it took me until I was like 38 to learn that, to like, just, you know, 
I'm not going to sit, you know, with the, here's this widget. Look how great it is. Like they don't give like, no. who gives it, you know, unless it relates, unless it changes, you know, so like, you know, the work I'm doing now in day job, it's super impactful. And that's like the green blinking lights are just a complete afterthought. And it, it's, it's, you know, it's just a great way to, you know, the, if I wish I could tell a million more people just to like, you know, get, you know, get what's important to them and let them get fired up about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to go back to what you said about having confidence. How do you know when you have confidence? It's a tricky one because I always, I always, it bleeds over to like arrogance and you, you don't want, like, you really don't want to be the, the arrogant, like that guy. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, along the way, I've had a few people like, you know, ask me like, you know, you're the most confident guy in this room. What's going on? Why? Like at bars or whatnot. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, what does that even mean? Um mm. You know, it's, I attribute it to like just being carefree, but you know what I mean? That's, you know, it's, it's, it's such a fine, I'm, I'm dying to get your take on, on the difference between the arrogance and the, and the, and the confidence. Oh gosh. You know, I'm like you, you know, I will never be accused of being too passive. You know, my lines are assertive and aggressive or confident and overconfident. Right. Um, so, you know, I would say I feel it in my body more than anything. So when I'm in a confident place, it feels like energetic humility. Now, I've been through a lot of coaching, a lot of coaching school, so I can kind of name these things, but sure. it feels like energetic humility where I'm both super excited, but also like super grateful to just be like one piece of sand on this earth. Um, so you can see like big picture and small picture at the same time. It's like that feeling of flow, you know, where time disappears. Arrogance for me, I feel like I'm bristly. Like my jokes are a little too crass. I'm a little too sarcastic um, because I think, you know, like my shit don't stink. Like I can say what I want. And I've had those moments and, you know, sometimes they're beer infused. Um, but, um, you know, and people find it funny because I'm 5'4 and weigh 130 pounds and I'm like walking around like I'm six seven, three hundred pounds like my husband, you know, and people are like, who are you? And I was like, yeah. Um, no one can see me right now, but I'm got my hands on my <laughs> hips. Yeah. Um, but it's, I feel bristly and I feel like I'm, I sense that I'm putting people off because I'm to be being too blunt, too direct, um, too much of that. So. So I always self-deprecate. Mm. I think like you said the humility thing, like I, like the remaining humble and like, you know, no one can trash themselves better than I can me. Um, you know, and I always felt like yeah. it ground, like, you know, that it grounded, not grounded me, but it just like people want to know that you're human. Like, yeah. you know, you know, like I, I kind of took that role on a day, a day job where there's a lot of really, I work around a real, like the most amazing, smart people in the world. And like someone needs to like, you know, be human in this room. Like there's a lot of, you know, it gets, it gets, it gets much. So like just the yeah. ability to hold court and kind of trash on yourself a little bit and, you know, yeah, God, yeah. you know, to me, that's kind of the, 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 but then again, though, that's for me. So like, that's the kind of what I was getting back earlier with reading those books is, you know, to, I think the biggest fault is in, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like people read these books and they become that instead of trans kind of molding it into their own, like, you know, their own style, it becomes like, 
like I never wanted to be a tactic salesperson because you can smell like Sandler salespeople that do it improperly are cringy. Mm, yeah. Um, when done improperly. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're not doing it. They're not, you know, um, they don't sound like themselves when they're doing it. Yeah, I, I, w- I would agree with you. I think there's the danger in any methodology is you're going to just going to try to follow the prescription and expect to get the results. Sure. Learning from other people and like modeling their way until you can make it your own. I think there's a ton of value in it. I mean, that's that's the key to my success. You know, I was raised in rural Indiana and the township trustee had to pay our bills sometimes because we didn't have enough money. And now I have a master's degree and my own business and all this stuff, you know, like I didn't make it from Fairland, Indiana to here by not having role models and modeling other behavior, but then obviously making it my own. So. Sure. And I'm saving the best for last, but so I I deal with 10 to 12 teams meetings a day. I'm lucky to do like maybe two or two to four in person. And a lot of happy hours and a lot, a lot of lunch meetings. But this whole how to lead a kick-ass meeting, I'm dying, <laughs> dying to get off to this. Because it's not that I don't lead a kick-ass meeting right now. It's that you get, you get when you, especially on teams, you get stuck. And it's, it's monotonous. In the rut. Like, so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so, all right, I'm going to wind you up and I'm going to push the button. And now now it's your turn to shine. No, <laughs> no, but like. <laughs> What what is a kick-ass meeting? I'd love I'm dying to know. Yeah, I think the number so a kick-ass meeting is basically where everyone leaves feeling like Bruce Lee. Like literally, like, yeah, 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 we're gonna take on the world. We just made some amazing decisions. Something's gonna move forward, forward momentum. Like, let's do this together which you hear like representative of all disc styles, right? Like there's a process, there's results, there's people, there's forward momentum. Like everyone loves that stuff. And it's that sense of camaraderie that like you're doing it together and things are moving in the best direction at the right speed. Everyone's moving at the right speed together. So I say that to say that's what it feels like, right? Like when you shut down, teams, when you leave that conference room, there is an energy, there's a palpable energy to that group. And they know what they need to do, when they need to do it, who's doing it by when, um, and how it contributes to the results. Now I'm all getting all geeked up and fired up here. Now, how do you do, how do you lead a kick-ass meeting? It starts before the meeting. You need an outcome-based agenda that says, here's what we have to accomplish during this meeting. You have to have a facilitator who facilitates the meeting, not does all the talking. They ask more questions than make statements. They invite participation. They ask the extroverts like you and me, Bob, to slow our roll a little bit so other people can share. But they're setting up the framework to say, here's what we have to accomplish. They're defaulting to 30 minutes, not an hour. And then when they get to the meeting, they start with something Again, Sandler, well, this is Sandler sales language, but a pattern interrupt to disconnect from the other work that's waiting outside of the meeting so we can be centered and focused on the task at hand together. So I hate the word icebreaker because they're cheesy and they're stupid. Nobody likes them. But you do some kind of meeting opener that asks a really creative question that's relevant to the work at hand. We used to always do a, like every day was a different favorite Fago flavor and like, like mm. it didn't win anything. It didn't, nobody cared. That's how we ended our meetings just to kind of bring the human back. You you said something about with 30 minutes that made me cringe and I'll tell you why. Tell me. Um, with me, you know, like I have 12, 30 minute meetings maybe tomorrow and uh, tomorrow I have a couple on site, So it's different, but like 
now I, you know, I, I tasked my team with make the meetings 25 because like the problem is when it, when you're, when you're people are never ending back to backs. Yep. And when you're on these back to backs, you can't breathe. You can't take a sip of coffee. You can't go pee. You can't compile your notes. And so now I've like made sure when, when an invite goes out that it's 50 on the hour or 25 on the half. Um, and then my biggest, my biggest thing is so help me God. If anyone says, um, I'll give you your time back. Like I'll, I'll kill you. Um, It's been such a huge pet peeve of mine. I'm getting mocked for it now, but like the meeting ends, the meeting ends. Like, no, you're not, no one's given anyone's time back. Like we're all in this together. Just, you know, it's almost as cliche as you're on mute. Um, my wife got me a coffee mug that said you're on mute because she heard me saying it so many times. Yeah. Um, oh, well, I will I want one of those so mute. bad. Um, <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. But yeah. like the whole, you know, it's the we're all in this. I, I don't know what's your what's your take on that? Because like I'm like I'm trying to again, you know, I took some pretty impactful classes when I was at Cisco from some pretty powerful executives that like on how to do a powerful meeting. Yeah. That's why I was like dying to get your take. Um, but like that was one of the big ones was just shortening them up. And, and then just like, if you got to cut it, the meeting's over. That's it. Like, yeah. And schedule the next thing if you got to. Yeah. I go, I go to two places on that. One is deeper level. Why so many meetings? Like what is really, really happening? Because the, if you don't know the why and the outcome of those meetings, you shouldn't be having them. And then there's no time for deep work. Our cultures have not set us up for deep work, important work. No, with what I do though, there's a lot of biweekly cadence. Half my week is biweekly cadence. For what? Um, for I, my job is to maintain relationships, so like okay. we get cadences on, and then if there's no updates, we we call off the meeting. Like I'm, we're not okay. going to show up at the meeting and just talk fishing, but sometimes we do that anyway. Yeah. Um, but it's just to maintain, like, hey, what do you got for me? We'll talk to each other if we need something prior, but like it's more or less just a, you know, if you if you're off of that cadence, it feels like. You, you start forgetting who they are okay. type of thing. And our job yeah, is to so be in front of each other all the time. So yeah, that's for connection then, right? Like the agenda right. for a connection meeting is different than an agenda for a brainstorming or a decision-making um, meeting. I get that. And I would question, okay, could it be a loom video? Could it be an old fashioned phone call? Like staring at ourselves on camera like makes our brains want to explode. So let's go old. Like let's pretend like it's 1985 and just call people on the phone again. Um, Nobody answers the phone. That's the problem. You got to find time on my find time on my calendar when I can't, when I like, how about I just call you? Yeah. Doesn't like it. It's weird now. It's, I'm going to advocate that we bring it back, man. Like we got to bring I'm, it I'm back. With you. I'm on team you with this one. Yeah. Um, You know, the, COVID, I don't know if it's like, I don't know if it changed things, but it totally the way we work remote now. Oh, totally um, did. Yeah. We don't, yeah. we don't BS at the water cooler like we used to, but we also have, everything's got to be scheduled or they, I can't get anyone's time to catch people. Um, yeah. It's, it's really unfortunate because it feels the, the downside of it is, is when you have all of those meetings that are, Hey, I need to get your input on this. You've got a meeting at 10, that's 25 minutes. And then sometimes then you got a meeting at 11. So then you've only got 35 minutes to use the bathroom, refill your coffee, check your email, check your Slack messages, then you're back in another meeting. Then you've got an hour and a half break. Again, no time for deep work. Like this is the problem with so many of our cultures, not enough time for deep work. And instead we're using meetings as excuses to 
say we're collaborating, but we're not making decisions. And if your job is relationship development, your job is connection, That's a, that makes sense, right? But for too many professionals, Randy, tell me if I'm wrong in IT here, like too many professionals, we're just spending time in money, er, sp- spending time in meetings because we think we need the FaceTime to show we're doing something. And then we're coming in early, we're leaving late, we're taking away time from our families to actually do the work that has to be get done to meet goals, KPIs, create proposals for clients, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. See, I started putting, you know, Monday uh, from like 3.30 to 5, I put continuous improvement. So like we study for certs and things like that all the yeah. time. So like, or or like LinkedIn, um, I'm working with one person on professional speaking. Um, so it's kind of like, let's, let's, you know, we start doing practices and run up, but like I'll schedule like for work, work, five, six hours a week is like yeah. block off time, like spread across the week just to like, just to just to breathe, you know. Yes. Sometimes it's you know, it's. it's I had a tough. meeting first thing in the morning the other week, and the meeting organizer said, "We don't really have anything on the agenda for this meeting, but we're gonna still gonna have it, but we're gonna make it short." And instead of pushing the start time up ahead because it was the first thing in the morning meeting, they kept it at this regular time and cut it off halfway. And I just yeah. all sorts of frustrated. That's productivity theater. Productivity theater drives me nuts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sorry, Randy. Why, I, why have a meeting? If there's nothing to talk about, and two, if you're going to shorten the meeting, make it start later if it's in the morning or make it end earlier if it's in the afternoon. Yes. Yes. And that's another one's meetings that could have been emails. Oh. That is one of my favorite memes is a little Shiba Inu standing on the conference room table barking and the caption is, this meeting could have been an email. Oh my gosh. <laughs> when I was doing, I was trying to bring in a humorous element to my lead kick-ass meetings masterclass. And so I was like, I need to pull in a meme for this. And- there were so many blog posts with like 36, 56 memes about how bad meetings suck and they should have been an email. I'm like, y'all, why is this tolerable in our work cultures? Like meetings are unbelievably expensive uses of time, which means they need to be the most valuable. We um we used to start off when we used to do trainings and whatnot. It was uh, the Yoda just says you must unlearn that which you have learned. Yes. It was pretty much like, remember all the stuff you heard today? Like, just forget it. It's, it's all <laughs> trash. Like... We are your masters now. Um, no, hey, we could talk to you for, for, I feel like I could talk to you for weeks, but this is, uh, uh, it's all really great information. And like, I could, I, you know, imagine you'd never have a bad meeting. I, I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> that is hey, the Stephanie Krevins, you can, uh, we're going to give her the links out to her, her dot com, her LinkedIn profile, and all the good stuff. And she has the, uh, the, is it a, a toolkit for the kick ass meetings? I highly suggest uh, grabbing that. Yes. Um, you can get on our dot com, but we'll put it all in our show notes. And uh, Stephanie, you know, sincerely appreciate your time and uh, we'll see you on the battlefield. Oh my gosh. Thank you guys so much. I, I had so much fun. Thanks for listening to my soapboxes and having us jam out here today. It was a blast. No, you were, uh, you were awesome. No, appreciate it. Thank you. This is going to wrap things up for episode 450 of the IT and the D show on behalf of Bob and Randy. Do us all a favor. Drink up your drinks. Get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it. <laughs>